Are you looking for practical ministry help to inform and inspire your leadership? Do you have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of other leaders in pursuit of stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast, presented by CDF Capital, helping churches grow. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary. Well, hey, friends, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. My name's Rich, and we're going to do a little bit of a different episode today, a deep dive really into this whole operational reserve question and how much should our churches be saving? What should that look like? We've brought on an expert to help us think through that from our good friends over at CDF Capital. For folks that don't know, I I just love this organization. You know, they're kind of like a bank, but these people love ministry. They are really ministry leaders. I like to say, I don't know, they don't describe themselves like this. They're ministry leaders uh, that really want to help on the finance financing side. They they help churches grow. And so I'm super excited to have Steve Carr with us today. Steve, welcome to the show. So glad you're here. Man, Rich, thanks for having me on. I want to say longtime listener, first time caller. I don't know if that's a thing. But <laughs> nice. That's great. <laughs> I'll go ahead and do it. Hey, and we're yeah. thankful for you on seminary for your devotion, helping churches grow. That's why we are, we're always excited to partner with you, man. No, that's good. Why don't you tell us about your role at CDF and, and maybe kind of fill out the picture. Uh, give us the official line. When people say, when you're out somewhere and they say, you work at CDF Capital, what is that? And tell us about your role. Yeah, that's a that's a great start for it. So as, as you kind of mentioned, yes, we are uh, ministry resource centric. The big thing about this is that even though we're a lender, we are a not-for-profit. So mm. the the really situates us differently because then the goals of what we're trying to accomplish in resourcing churches is not trying to make money off of them at this. Really the goal is for us to be able to take what churches are doing to benefit the investors within this, and then to mm-hmm. help that to generate more resources for churches. So mm-hmm. foremost, it's financials usually for what we're known. Uh, we yep. extend loans to churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually help churches as we'll talk here later manage their reserve mm-hmm. funds that they're doing, but then also we're quite invested within the leadership and spiritual realm because we have realized mm-hmm. is that the success of church requires a myriad of resources that have to come to the table. So that's like with me, as much as I've been part of our ministry for five years and now work within mm-hmm. finance, my, I'm actually mm-hmm. a uh, academically trained theologian. So I'm an ordained right. minister. I've worked at a mm-hmm. seminary level myself mm-hmm. in an institution uh, and that what that does, Rich, is it just brings a good heart of what we're doing. At the end of the day, so we're not going to uh, allow churches to move into a place where we think that could financially jeopardize their kingdom effectiveness. So we try to network with churches and leaders to provide some great resources that are the basis for the growth of their congregations. Yeah, this is this is so good. And, and friends, you see a little bit why I love CDF so much. It's a, such a great organization. Everybody I've interacted with there, the kind of people who are like, man, those are real same. We have the same heartbeat about wanting to make an impact uh, in the kingdom. They're just having to help on the financial side. Well, let's kind of dive into this issue. So one of the things I've noticed, uh, pre- you know, I spent a lot of time talking to executive pastors and pre-pandemic, it seemed like there was always this conversation where it was like, hey, how much you got in reserve? What are you, what are you holding? And people measure it in different ways, weeks or months. Um, and my intuition tells me that that has grown over this last year and a bit that, you know, and that could just be the slice of churches I've talked to, but from your perspective, pre pandemic, how much did people really hold in operational reserve? What did you see? And then what about now? Has there been a shift on those two things? Yeah, Rich, I think you're reading the trend correctly. It's tough to tell because this 
pandemic and the resonance of that have affected churches in different parts of the country and in the world differently, right? So just trying to look at it, though, we've seen some general trends, uh, especially here in the United States, because churches that we are working with and what we're seeing in the field is that during the pandemic, churches either maintain their giving levels or they mm-hmm. actually increase their giving levels. So mm-hmm. when we were heading into this as a lender, we were fearful because we've lived through previous recessions. And when I say <laughs> yes. fearful, we were just cautious to try to say, okay, how are we going to advise churches in this point if their giving just falls out, if they're not able to meet in person for months on end, what's yes. that going to mean? The the blessing, I think, for the kingdom in this season was that churches actually emerged from this almost financially stronger which yes. is befuddling to us. I mean, we can look in the past and and say that, but I don't know many people that were predicting that. I, you know, number yep. one is you just saw a massive change in the way that individuals saved. So, like December twenty nineteen, seven percent of people's income were going to savings, whereas April, five months later into the pandemic, thirty plus percent of individual savings was wow. individual income was being pushed into savings. And huh. these are numbers from like the Fed. So you're like, wow, yes. they are seeing this at a level. We saw this in churches too, is that uh, they weren't impacted as drastically negatively because there probably weren't as many people who were based in these industries that completely shuttered uh, ed- entertainment mm-hmm. or transportation. And many people then, they actually stopped their commute. They were able to work from home. And these were the people mm-hmm. that continued to give. The shift we did see, Rich, was in giving units. So we are mm-hmm. seeing that nationally, the number of giving units that were there before the pandemic are down, whereas the income is there. There's some good mm-hmm. trends within that because you're mm-hmm. seeing generosity. The thing yep. to be aware of then is how are you cultivating givers to make sure to maintain that? So I use that as the preface to your question. Sorry to work through it to this because no, I no, think no, that's no. important. That's, that's fascinating. I love that. Pre-pandemic, yeah. the general rule was about three to six months reserves is what a church wants to have. So coming into this, again, some of our hesitation about where churches were, we saw a large amount of our portfolio churches that were in there. But now coming out of this, we're seeing churches that have, you know, said, okay, just in case, because, and also they did some good austerity there. Maybe they made mm-hmm. cutbacks, they loosen mm-hmm. their expenses. But I think now we have this moment where they're trying to look at a six to 12 month trend. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's a shift to which everybody's going to have to adjust, right? Is trying mm-hmm. to figure out, is that a good amount? And yes. how long do we maintain this? Yeah. So this is, um, first of all, just before we jump into, you know, a little bit more about that, one of the things I, one of the things I had heard, this was early in the pandemic, uh, maybe March, April last year. Um, I had heard you reached out to your churches that have loans with you and offered to do, there was like, Hey, we're going to make like a break on payments or something like that. And tell us that's that story. I just think this is such a great story, uh, you know, to, because I think there was then like a whole bunch of churches said no or something like that. They were like, no, we're fine. We'll keep moving forward. Am I remembering that correctly? Or am I, is there like a fuzzy thing? Yeah. And we called that rich, uh, we called it our cap 19 program. It was supposed to emulate the COVID 19, but we wanted to, we called it our church assistant plan. And our church assistance plan was to say, look, for every church in our portfolio, we permitted them the equivalency of two months forbearance. So forbearance doesn't mean it's forgiven, but we take the payment and we offset it to the end of the loan. Now, we had to offer that to all the churches in our portfolio because when you Mm -hmm. change the terms of a loan, and this is sometimes as a nonprofit, people are like, hey, you should just 
knock our rate to zero because you love Jesus. Well, <laughs> legally, we can't yeah, do that, that because we file loans with the state. And what we were able to do through the process was to take all the churches in our portfolio, because this is mm-hmm. accounting changes that were COVID specific. If you offered forbearance to everybody, you weren't mm. specially changing a loan and there was not going to be anything mm. negative within your annual audits. So we offered it to everybody. 66% of the churches in our portfolio agreed to it. So that's interesting. You're like, why would 30 percent not. Well, churches were at different places. We had some churches mm-hmm. that were had small balances. They didn't need to. We had churches mm-hmm. that had ample reserves and they didn't need to. So we tried to say, look, we're going to take a, a, a hit to our profit on the year to make sure that we keep churches because for us, our existence is based upon the vitality of the congregations with, with who we work. Yep. So fortunately, um, it was well-received. We actually had a good uh, 2020 as a ministry. We always have to put all of our financials out there so they're accessible. Mm-hmm. You can see mm-hmm. as a nonprofit how we did uh, in yep. 2020. But we were blessed within that. We believe it blessed the kingdom. And Love it. that's what happens when you, you know, from our seat, when you have the benefit of being able to operate what's in the best interest of congregations, it's, it. it's a good outcome. Let's, let's talk about this reserve fund question. You know, there seems to be, um, you know, there's like a tension here. If we don't want to just amass cash sitting in a, in a bank somewhere, uh, people don't give us money so that we can become, you know, money managers. They, they are tithing, they're giving to our churches so that we can have an impact. And so we don't want to just be piling up cash. And now on the other side, we don't want to have such, such small amounts that it puts the ministry at risk that like, hey, something could come along that could really impact us. You know, what should a church consider when they're trying to figure out how much they should be you know, saving in a reserve fund? What you articulated there, Rich, is exactly the thing I talk with church leaders constantly because there's this tension. I'm a church mm-hmm. planter too. About 15, mm-hmm. 16 years mm-hmm. ago, I planted a church with my wife in urban Cincinnati, and we mm-hmm. uh, rented from a church that was a beautiful old 100-year-old building. The church had been around for over 100 years, and mm-hmm. even though they had 20 members, they had three full-time staff members. And I was like, <laughs> all right, I have to explore. Where is this money? Well, yeah, come to find out, this was an urban church that in the Great Depression, because of what happened there, they increased the size of their reserves to the extent that they started a, you know, a, an endowment. And mm-hmm. they were able to mm-hmm. have an endowment uh, you know, that was seven figures that actually funded the right. church. So part of this is you're like, I love the foresight that they were trying to say, let's be wise in the future. But what actually mm-hmm. happened was the endowment became a crutch to the operation ministry because they knew they had generated income coming in and it never forced them then to really think missionally and say, right. okay, are we operating just to keep the organization flowing, which sometimes mm-hmm. an endowment fuels? Are we actually being creative in the way that we're trying to reach our community? So mm-hmm. that church then coming out of the last recession the, where they had their investments was really poor. And that endowment went from seven figures to low six. And within three Ooh. years, they were shuttered. And wow, uh, my, my little nose, I tried to buy that building, but they took a cash offer. Somebody actually made it into their house. And I still love oh that this beautiful 100 oh, year old church building died. Yes. Yeah, I, I, that's my personal lament. But more so than this is that thing that you bring up is how mm-hmm. then do churches strategize? And I think that's tension. That's a theological issue that I think elder boards and staff really need to grapple with 
themselves. On our end mm-hmm. of it, we we like to see externally focused congregations within their giving. So yes, having mm-hmm. ample reserves are great. However, money sitting in the bank for a church is not what I would say, what we would say as a ministry is the way that the Lord intentioned us for us to operate. So mm-hmm. the you know the the modern church is an interesting biblical business hybrid that people don't like <laughs> to grapple with. And I think right. that teams should really talk about their their theology of stewardship and how they're training the funds. And I would say in this time, so churches have more funds and it's just, how do we allocate that? Because I've seen some churches saying, well, now we need to build that addition we've always been waiting for. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I though have seen some say, now we need to bless some missionaries in foreign fields that would be mm-hmm. the beneficiaries of this. We personally, mm-hmm. my wife and I support missionaries in, in Myanmar and Pakistan and COVID mm-hmm. has ravished them in Myanmar. Mm-hmm. There's been revolution and we're like, okay, now more than ever, they need funds. How are churches stewarding that? So again, I, that six to 12 month, I think is helpful for yep. churches at this time, specifically mm-hmm. because, and this is to pivot to this really quick, Rich, is that as much as you're seeing economic recovery in the United States, where everybody's like, mm-hmm. look, if people are coming back to work, things yes, are opening yeah, yeah. up, money is starting to flow. We are not out of the woods yet. And we were talking yeah, offline about, yeah. you know, you're in Canada and I don't know exactly how they are functioning mm-hmm. economic, but here the Federal Reserve, who basically mm-hmm. is the key bank within U.S. monetary policy, has had incredibly mm-hmm. low interest rates, which they've mm-hmm. maintained at this time, uh, and also quantitative easing, where they're going quantitative easing, easy for me to say, that they are going to the market <laughs> and finding securities to be able to increase the value of the dollar. This is basically right. a painkiller to the economy. So at some right. point, you've got to pay the piper, right? Or, or, yes. or the band dancing. I don't know. My metaphors are broke. Yes. But you have <laughs> to understand that we have putting band, we've been putting Band-Aids over the economy. We made it through COVID. There's going to be yep. an economic dip. So within our reserve strategy, we have to figure out how are we going to prepare for that. And then, you know, maybe we'll talk about this at a later date or something, but then also our Mm -hmm. strategy for building and how we're treating existing debt and stuff. I think we need to be responsible by that too. So more so, you know, all of that to say, (laughs) to your question, because I'm horrible at answering questions sometimes, Rich. (laughs) And all of this would be to say, I think we need to be thoughtful. I think we need to view Mm -hmm. it with a theological lens. And I think mm-hmm. we then need to be responsible and say, let's not be arrogant to think that we've all made it through the pandemic yeah, and now we can good. just spend everything we have. I think this is still a time for caution and then longer term strategy to say, how are we as church leaders going to embrace the changing world that is a post-COVID reality? So yeah, I, I, I love danced that. around that, a- brother. No, no, that's great. That's really, really good. I, I, you know, clearly remember I was in New Jersey uh, during the uh, the Great Recession there in the late, you know, 2000s, 2008, 2009. And, you know, there's this interesting time when the economy does take a bit of a slip um, where as a church that creates all kinds of new opportunities for us to serve our communities. Like we're, we're like, wow, there's all kinds of ways for us to help. And we want to be financially ready for that. We want to be at the place where we could step in and actually make a difference in in whatever that might look like that, you know, whatever those that, you know, we want to make sure we're making those decisions. Now I I appreciate your uh, caution on like, Hey, you know, it's like the beginning of the twenties now it's like, Oh, everything's opened up. It's going to be amazing. It's like, well, yeah, but you know, this is going to come back. Inflation will probably be 
be a part of the equation at some point. We have to figure out where life goes. Um, and you know, from speaking here. to that really quickly from the spiritual level, Rich, I think that's why yeah. one thing I've learned again, theologian ordained minister coming into, you know, more finance on our side of it. And the thing that I yep. find incredibly valuable for people of faith when it comes to this is just humility. Like we mm -hmm. might think we know, but we never do. And, you know, that shows our limitation as human, human beings. And if we're able mm -hmm. to be humble as we look toward the allocation of this, our churches will be the better off in the years to mm -hmm. come. Oh, that's so good. What a great word. So when we think about these funds, um, so I know there's church leaders that are listening in that are saying six months to a year. Oh my goodness, we don't have anywhere near that. Um, and so this question might be like, you know, level 2.0 might be a little bit overwhelming, but is there a best practice for structuring? I'm thinking kind of like at the policy level, these funds like short-term contingency versus long-term strategic investing. How should we be thinking about that? You know, how accessible do we want this cash to be? Um, how much do we want to lock it up. You know, what, what should we be thinking about on that front? Yeah, we're getting a little to uh, the deeper cuts to this, but it might be helpful because some people might be grappling with this. And again, yep. any counsel I offer, it's always contextual, right? It depends where yes, you're yes. at, what the economy yep. is looking at, what kind of, mm -hmm. you know, trajectory your church is on, if you're actually growing or if you're in a place of, mm -hmm. you know, where you're just hanging in there. All of this is there, but I would just say generally, number one, you want to keep cash ready accessible. So I would say a mm. good amount of your reserve, probably 50% or so, needs to be accessible in some sort of flexible checking savings account. Um, mm -hmm. The one thing about that is you're not going to make any interest on that, uh, which right. is one of the places where we come in is that we offer those options with a higher interest rate. But uh, either way, you, as you're doing that, you also want to make sure that you're putting maybe some of your reserves in some sort of higher yield certificate to where you mm -hmm. can get a better rate. Now, when I tell people mm -hmm. about that, Rich, here's the, the quandary. They're like, well, what if we need that money, which is a great question. Well, mm -hmm. even though, and you hear it on almost all these banking commercials where like early withdrawal penalties may apply. Like, yes, yes a, a longer term <laughs> certificate is going to have that. But generally, you just need to look at what is the early redemption penalty and what would be the price that I'd have to pay for that versus the interest rate that I'm getting. So chances yes. are, even if you're in a place of emergency where you have to redeem a certificate early, the mm -hmm. cost of interest that you would be uh, earning on that might actually mm -hmm. be superior than if you had just kept it inflexible. So that is where you might quote unquote, be risky, you know, as the way you're looking mm -hmm, at, mm -hmm, but really you're mitigating mm -hmm. risk if you find mm -hmm. the right vehicle for the longer time perspective to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not a certified financial planner and I'm not a strategist yes. for this, but as we would <laughs> yes. talk through this, I would manage my personal finance. That's the yep. type of thing. You want to keep the ready cash available. And then that last thing, Rich, we always tell people too, is because we, again, we have investors, we have almost 10,000 investors all over the country mm -hmm. in CDF capital, but diversification is a principle that we still need to apply to yeah. congregational savings, right? Mm -hmm. So if I have all of my money in a singular institution, it is not wise. Even though, mm -hmm. you know, even if you have FDIC insured institutions, there's still an mm -hmm. element of risk in anything that we have with our money. So having diversification, mm -hmm. making sure our, our money is in a few different places, again, more oversight, but not a bad strategy to employ even with church lending or church savings, excuse me. Yeah, that's great. Super, super helpful. That might actually pivot a little bit to um, CDF. You had mentioned that your um, rates are a little bit better than your kind of traditional bank down the street. And the idea of diversifying, there may be church leaders today that are thinking, hmm, maybe we should relook at this. We've just, you know, maybe we've increased our operational reserve over this last year. And 
we maybe need to think again about how we're actually saving that. How does CV- CDF kind of fit into that conversation? What does that actually look like? Someone calls you up and says, "Hey, I'm I'm interested in you know thinking about the you know the saving side of this equation." What, what does that conversation typically look like uh, with the church? Yeah, as we discussed earlier, we are a non-for-profit, but uh, we also lend to churches. So then when you're looking at Mm -hmm. the operations of what we do, it's incredibly simple. We um, offer certificates for sale. We have flexible certificates where you can access your money with no penalty. We have time certificates Mm -hmm. that lock in at a certain rate and redemption. So we have Mm -hmm. uh, different vehicles that we use to do that. When investors invest in us, our loan portfolio is churches and nonprofits uh, of faith. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when we are investing in CDF, and again, you know, this might sound self-serving, but we really, I, this is what keeps me going. This is what makes me passionate about what we do. Mm-hmm. We are investing in the work of the kingdom. So you don't yeah, have absolutely. to worry that, hey, I might be making good money <laughs> here, mm-hmm. but their actions are nefarious. No, we try to make sure that we are, uh, being great stewards of our investors' resources by identifying churches that are doing mm-hmm. amazing things and helping them along the way. So the benefit for our investors is they usually get a more compelling yield in their interest rate than they would mm-hmm. for uh, their local bank. And we understand this too, is that we just we might not be the right product for everybody, but we are there to try mm-hmm. to assist them and help them in their needs at the very least rich. And this is why I love these types of conversations. Really. We just want to be in a place where we can help educate and advise people yep. on this. So right. quite often I find myself in situations talking to church leaders with the knowledge that they might not do business with us, but that's right. fine because at the end of the day, the advancement of what we're trying to accomplish at CDF, which is helping churches grow, is accomplished through the conversations. So, you know, I appreciate that softball question to me because I try to live those up and just, <laughs> you know, crank them out. But at the same time, uh, we just want to be in a place to educate church leaders about the opportunities. If you've not thought about the theology of your institutional stewardship, at the very least, that's a good conversation for your elder board to have, especially in a season like this where it is changing and emerging and we need to employ some mm-hmm. humility in how we handle our finances. This has been fantastic. Uh, Steve, I really appreciate you taking time to be with us today. And friends, as you're listening in, the thing I hope you've been uh, impressed with, you've got a little bit of a window into Steve and in just to the organization of CDF that like these are people that want to help you. And they really you know, mean the fact that they want to help churches grow. And you heard Steve say like, hey, you know, you may not be thinking about um, switching any of this stuff, but it'd be worthwhile reaching out to CDF and having a conversation and talking through, hey, what are you facing? Because uh, that you know, you'll you'll gain some information there that could help you as you engage. Um, obviously, if you want to you know do business with CDF, that'd be great too. So, um, Steve, I appreciate you being here. If people want to get in touch with you or with CDF, where do we want to send them online? How do we want them to to reach out to connect? I think the best thing I have colleagues all over the country. We're uh, headquartered in Irvine, California, but many of those, like myself, I'm from beautiful, sunny Cincinnati. Cincinnati, the San Diego of the Midwest. So uh, (laughs) we have people all over the United States there. The best thing is to go online, cdfcapital.org. And uh, there are forms there you can fill out and we'll make sure the right person gets in contact with you. 
That's perfect. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, thanks so much for being here. I remember Brian Tome years ago uh, from uh, your hometown there saying, you know, Cincinnati, it's the it's the cultural epicenter of the West. It's it's Cincinnati. That's what it's all about. So <laughs> it's that's, good thing. yes, that's how we live. Brian and Crossroads <laughs> are right up the street from us, and that's the yes. uh, that's the benefit. You know, that's at some point when you can get across the border, you need to come visit beautiful Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm well, glad I could so end much, that Steve. way. <laughs> I appreciate you being here today. Thanks so thanks much. for your ministry, brother. Thanks for tuning in to the Unseminary Podcast. Drop by unseminary.com for more helpful resources for you and your team. There you will find articles, online courses, and so much more. Unseminary, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Presented by CDF Capital. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary.